You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Happy Easter! My name is Brad. If, if you're new here with us, man, I am so glad that you're here. Even if you're old, I'm glad that you're here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Older. I'll just say I'm thrilled that we are a church of all generations. I love that about our church. I love that we have students walking around who act like they own the place, and we have people of all different ages doing all kinds of different things around here. It's fun, and we have a lot of young at heart people as well, just, just so you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> so in 1993, there was, there was a woman named Joan Ginther who was living in a small, no-name town in Texas. And in 93, she bought a scratch-off lottery ticket and won the lottery and won $5.4 million. And as you can imagine, Joan's life changed forever from this moment on. All of a sudden, she was rid of a house payment, a car payment, different debts were canceled. I mean, her life dramatically changed. Now, winning the lottery one time is a pretty astounding thing to have happen to you. But for Joan, lightning struck twice. Because in 2006, she won the lottery again. Unfortunately, this time, it was only $2 million that she won. Poor Joan, right? Poor Joan. Now, if that's not crazy enough, two years after that, in 2008, little Miss Joan won the lottery a third time, this time for $3 million. And if all of that is not crazy enough, in 2010, Joan struck gold again and won the lottery for $10 million. I mean, elect this woman president or something, because her luck is just going to steer everyone in the right direction. Four times she won the lottery. Like, somebody from the church bought me scratch-off tickets for Christmas, and I was excited about winning $2 in that, okay? Like, this woman, she wins $20.4 million. Do you know what the chances are of winning that much money in the lottery, or at least that many times? It's one in 18 septillion of a chance. I don't even know what a septillion is. Lots. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought to yourself, why do they have it so much better than I do? Have you ever compared yourself to someone else's life and maybe you thought to yourself, why, why do they seem to have it so easy? Maybe it was a, a coworker that you've done that with. Maybe it was with somebody you watch on social media who you went to high school with that you, you don't even talk to anymore and you, you think to yourself, why is their life so much better than mine? I've done that. I've done that with other pastors, other churches. I've done that with coworkers and, and friends. I, I think we've all done that. In fact, there was a, a guy in our church who named me White Bread at one point as a way of saying, like, you've never walked through anything in this life, kid. But here's, here's the truth. Here's the reality. Every single one of us has stuff that we're healing from that we don't speak about. 
every single one of us. I don't care who you are here in this room. You have stuff in your life that you're still healing from that you don't speak about, and so do I. The Vietnam vet who just lost another friend to suicide has scars in his life that he doesn't speak about. Your black elderly neighbor who grew up in the Jim Crow South has scars she doesn't speak about. The gay kid in our youth group has scars he doesn't speak about. My six-year-old being bullied on her bus has scars she doesn't speak about. Even $20.4 million lottery winner Joan Ginther has scars that she doesn't speak about. And what I love and kind of hate about Easter at the same time is Easter is honestly one of the easiest days to just kind of cover up our scars and pretend like they don't exist. Right, we come into this place, we sing happy songs, we maybe get a new outfit that our kids are wearing. By the way, what marketing genius thought it was a good idea to put kids in pastel colors and send them outside during the muddiest season of the year to go Easter egg hunting? Just brilliant, right? Like there's, there's a sense of celebration on this day. There's a sense of joy on this day, but maybe for you that just feels so fake and manufactured. I remember one of the first Easter's that my wife and I were married. We were heading into church, and we got to the church parking lot, and we got into such a big blow-up fight that morning in the church parking lot on Easter Sunday that we just decided we were going to turn around and go home because it felt so manufactured and fake to even walk into that building. I don't care who you are. You have scars You have things that you're still healing from that that you don't speak about. Some deep, some long-lasting, some smaller, but we all have them. And this morning, I want to just begin our time together by asking you this question. I think it's a question that all of us can wrestle with. It's, It's this one right here. Would you prefer to have your scars redeemed or your scars removed? Would you prefer to have your scars redeemed or have them removed altogether? To be honest, I'm not sure we would all answer that question the same way. Yeah, I think some of us would say both. I think some of us might say one or the other. But what if Jesus, what if Jesus can do both? What What if he can both redeem and remove our scars? And I'm not talking about in the way that churches normally talk about it, where you just put makeup over the black eye or a sweater over the bruises and you're told to shut up and stop talking about it. No, I'm talking about real, heart-level redemption, where scars that have been rooted for years and decades and even generations in our family can begin to experience some kind of redemption and healing. I believe Jesus is powerful enough to do that, and I want to show you exactly why this morning in one of my favorite encounters that he has right after he rises from the dead. I want to show you how he goes about doing this. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning... Turn with me to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. The words are going to be on the screen. But John chapter 20. And as we're turning there, I I want to set the scene for us for just a moment here. So in this moment, in this encounter, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's been arrested, tried, crucified, buried, and he's risen from the dead on Sunday morning. And the way that he's chosen to reveal that is to begin appearing to different pockets of people. So he didn't come to this large, huge crowd all at once and say, hey, I'm back, I'm here. No, it was small groups of people, twos and threes. 
And this specific interaction with one of those people I think is one of the most powerful that he has because I, I believe it shows us how he goes about redeeming our scars. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, this is what it says. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came initially. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a bold statement from somebody who's lived with Jesus side by side for three years. I will never believe until I see him. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I want you to think about Thomas for just a moment here. It's as if Thomas is saying to all of the other people around him initially in this encounter, it's cool if you want to believe that crap. But God knows where I am. And if he wants to find me, he knows where to find me. He can come and find me. He can come and and prove himself to me. You see, Thomas, his statement, unless I touch his scars, unless I touch his wounds, I will never believe. And that is a loaded statement. There are some scars of his own underneath that statement. In fact, what we know about Thomas is Thomas wasn't always like this. In fact, Thomas doesn't have very many lines in the script of Jesus' life. There's only a handful of lines that he has in any of the stories of Jesus' life. But one of them is just a few chapters before this in John 11, where we see a very different Thomas, where Jesus is contemplating returning to this place called Bethany, where his life was threatened when he was there the last time. How many of you would ever want to leave and go back somewhere where your life was threatened the last time you were there? Jesus clearly was not welcomed in this place called Bethany. And all of the disciples are like, don't go, don't go, don't go. And who stands up but Thomas and says, Jesus, we are going to go with you, even if it costs us our lives. Thomas was not always like this. Something happened between Thomas putting his full hope in Jesus and this moment after Jesus' resurrection. Some kind of scar developed. And we don't know exactly what it is, but might I suggest it has something to do with this revolutionary named Jesus that he was following, who was arrested, falsely accused, tried, brutally murdered, and then buried in the ground. You see, for Thomas, the whole production is over at this point. The pastel Easter outfit has been stained forever with blood. And at some point, Thomas has learned a lesson that every single one of us pick up in one way or another along the way. At some point, Thomas learned that this life right here, right now, is full of disappointments that can lead to scars. So from that point forward, Thomas was resolved to protect those scars, to hide them away, and you can see it all over John 20 as he interacts with Jesus. And we do the same thing today, don't we? We 
hide our scars. We insulate. We isolate. We debate. We medicate. We capitulate. I don't even know what capitulate means, but I added it in there because it sounds cool. We do this. We do this too. We hide away our scars. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want to have them exposed for fear of what other people might think or what other people might do. But I want to draw your attention to something that happens in this encounter with Jesus, perhaps the most important part of this entire encounter with Jesus. It's a reality about Jesus that if you're not looking for it, you may have easily missed. It's found in verse 27. I want to just reread this for you a second here. Where Jesus says this, he says, put your finger here and see my hands. In other words, look at the nail piercings and scars in my hands. And place your hand in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Resurrected Jesus is still battle-beaten and battered from his crucifixion. Jesus has scars, and this encounter is only about a week and a half after Jesus is crucified. A week and a half after Jesus had nails driven through his wrists and nails driven through his feet and his ankles, having a, a sword pierced through his waist, after having a crown of thorns penetrating the flesh covering his skull and a whip of shards and thorns striking his back over and over to the point of death. Jesus appears to Thomas with scars of his own. How different of an Easter story that is from the one we're used to hearing in church every single year. That the resurrected Jesus didn't wear a Hawaiian shirt on Easter morning. <laughs> no, the blood from his wounds would have soiled his clothes faster than my three-year-old will destroy the white pants we put him in this morning. See, when Thomas says that I won't believe until I see and I touch and I experience the wounds of Jesus for myself, when Thomas makes this statement, there is a question behind Thomas' statement. There is a question that Thomas is asking Jesus, and maybe it's the same question that you have asked Jesus, you have asked the church, you have asked people in your life in the past, and the question is this, Jesus, are you really in this with me? Are you really in this with me? Like maybe you've asked, Jesus, were you in this with me when dad left home and never returned? Jesus, were you in this with me when the abuse started and then it stopped and I had false hope only to start once again? Jesus, were you in this with me when my best friend died or when I lost custody of the kids? Jesus, were you really in this with me? We've all asked a version of that question. Or maybe the question you're asking is, will you be in this with me? Like, Jesus, if I trust you, if I give something to you, my life to you, will the church just hurt me again? Will you be with me when the church hurts me again? Jesus, will you be with me when I go home and I still struggle with my temper? I still struggle with my doubts. Jesus, will you be with me when I find myself at the bar or can't make the rent payment this month? And here's what Jesus asks Thomas in return. Thomas, will you trust me in the tension? Will you trust me before this story is fully resolved? Because you can see 
And you can touch and you can feel the scars that I have borne as proof of my fierce and enduring love for you. Will you trust me even when it's not all resolved? You see, there's very few things that earn our trust today. There's very few things. We don't trust people based on their expertise. We don't trust people based on their education level. We don't trust people based on their social status or their financial position. Like, just look at the the state of our culture today. Like, we don't trust people because of those things. There is one way that people earn our trust, and it's their willingness to walk a mile in our shoes. It's their answer to the question, will you be in this with me when things get ugly? Will you bail when things get hard? Do you know what it's like to walk a mile in my shoes? There was a uh, a father a number of years back whose son developed a a brain tumor. And so this son had to have a pretty aggressive surgery. And uh, I'll never forget when my best friend had surgery, he had epilepsy and he had to have brain surgery to to, um, cure the epilepsy, treat it. And I'll never forget being in the hospital room and watching him wake up and seeing the massive C-shaped scar on the side of his head. And the same thing happened for for this father's son. He watched his son go through cancer treatment and chemotherapy and eventually get brain surgery to to treat this tumor that he had. And the son came out of the surgery with a C-shaped scar. And this father wanted his son more than anything to know the force of his love in his son's life the proof of his love in his son's life. And so what did this father do? As proof of his love for his son, he wore the same scar. He got a tattoo of the scar. The son, this is proof of my love for you. Do you realize that's why Jesus, after he's resurrected, still wears his scars? As proof undeniable evidence that he is in this with you, that his love is a force in your life worth trusting, worth giving your life to. And I'll be honest, the empty tomb in and of itself does not do a whole lot for me. Like by itself, it's just an empty tomb. You know what changes lives? You know what changed my life? Is the reality of a risen Savior who still bears his scars. I'll give my life to that. I'll trust in a love like that. I, lo- I love how author and theologian Frederick Buechner says this. He describes this interaction with Thomas and Jesus this way. He says, unless we see with our own eyes, we will not believe because we cannot believe. Cannot believe fully anyway. Cannot believe in a sense that affects the way we live our lives. If we are to believe in his resurrection in a way that really matters, we must somehow see him for ourselves. It is not his absence from the empty tomb that convinces us, but the shadow of his presence in our empty lives. Guys, here's what's so incredible about Jesus. That he has the battle wounds to demonstrate that he's not just worthy of your trust, he's worthy of your entire life. Scars and all. 
Because not only has Jesus walked a mile in your shoes, but he has carried you things through things that you can't even walk through in your own shoes. Isaiah 53, this, this prophecy about the life of Jesus, describes this suffering servant who bore our griefs, who took on our transgressions, who was, I, I made a list here of all the things that it describes. He was despised, he was rejected, pierced, crushed, chastised, punished. Why? Because it's by his wounds that you and I are healed. Jesus redeems our scars. The scars you have received, the scars you have inflicted on others. I meet so many people who are buried in grief and condemnation in their own lives because of the scars they've inflicted on others. Jesus can redeem those as well, not just the things that you, you've done or have been done to you, all of it. I, I think of my friends who have been sexually battered and abused, who are walking in community in this church in solidarity with other people right now because they are living with a conviction that Jesus is redeeming their scars. I think of my friends who have relentlessly turned to the bottle to numb, to push aside the pain, and some of them who are celebrating years of sobriety. Like, Did you know that in leadership here at New Life Church, we have people celebrating two years of sobriety, 10 years of sobriety, 30-something years of sobriety. Why? Yeah, we can. Because Jesus is redeeming those scars. And for some people, that is a 30-plus year-long process, and we are in it together. My wife and I, we're in the process of adopting a little boy right now. And this little boy, his baby sister, was murdered by their birth parents. And I believe that Jesus is even redeeming those scars in his life, in our family. He's done it for me. And, and the older I get and the longer I've been a Christian, I'm not, I'm not one of those old people yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Just kidding. The longer I live, here's what I absolutely commits myself. I have no interest in a Christianity, zero, that just hides scars and brushes them to the side. I have seen so much damage done by a church, by churches that have done that. Just say, shut up about your scars. Don't talk about them. Don't hide them. Let's put on our Easter best or Sunday best. Come in here on Sunday morning and just pretend everything's good. That's not where real healing happens. That's not where real redemption happens. Real redemption comes from this exposing of the scars that are in our lives and inviting Jesus to heal them in community with other people. One of the most painful things for me as a pastor is when I watch people I love walk away from Jesus because they have been told for too many years by too many Christians to just hide their scars. I've seen it. But the hope of Easter is not just that there's an empty grave. It's that there's a Savior who still has his scars. You see, scars are an evidence of trauma, but scars are also evidence of healing in our lives. Scars are also evidence of where healing has happened. And there are real people in this community that are being redeemed and having their scars redeemed by Jesus. And one of them is, is my friend Luke. 
Luke started coming here to New Life just a few months ago, just last year. And I had the opportunity uh, to sit down with Luke a couple weeks ago, and I just asked him to share his story with our church for Easter Sunday morning, because I believe there's power in our stories. And so I asked Luke to sit down and record a video and, and share his story with us. And here's why I want you to watch this six-minute video, the six-minute story. The reason that I want you to watch this is, number one, because this is a church where it is okay to have some scars, to be battle-beaten and a little bruised. This is a church where it's okay to walk with people who are in the same exact position, because let's be honest, we all are. And here's my hope for you. As we watch Luke's story, that you can see along the way that Jesus has the power to redeem those scars that he has done and is doing it for Luke. And I believe that you're going to see a piece of your story and Luke's story as we watch this. And so take a few minutes with me. Let's watch this video. I don't want you to miss what God has for you this morning as we watch Luke's story. Hello, my name is Lucas Lovers. I've been coming to New Life since October. I'm a real estate agent. Nine months ago, I was a hardcore atheist. I would go out and seek arguments to fight against Christianity. Growing up um, wasn't that bad for the first 10 years. Uh, it was a really nice, loving home. And then back in 08, after the market crashed with my dad being in the construction industry, um, things took a turn for the worst. My parents got a divorce and they were very absent in my life. I had to start raising my brother when I was 13. I went to work with my dad doing construction when I was 13, so that way I could bike to the gas station to get food for me and my brother, because um, my dad was at wherever. My parents' relationship was very strained. Um, me and my brother were pawns in their divorce. If they needed to communicate a message, I, I was the message bearer, and I also got to hear all the dirty, nasty things about each person, each parent, and about all the, the drinking, the pills, the abuse, their significant others that they were with at the time. It was a very hard balancing game um, that I tried to protect my brother from as much as I could, but they would go after him too. Um, and if, they, if we didn't give them the answer they wanted, it, it would sometimes turn to violence. Uh, my grandma took me in when I was 19. She'd helped me get in my first apartment with my, with my fiance at the time. And uh, me and my fiance, we were together for seven years. Uh, high school sweethearts, we did everything together. Uh, proms, dances, hanging out after school. Um, after we'd gotten into our first apartment, she uh, she was pregnant at the time, and about three weeks of being in my new place, I'd caught her with several other different people. Um, and shortly after that, she took a bunch of pills and had a miscarriage, causing me to lose my first daughter. Uh, and, and things got bad. After that, uh, I turned to drinking like crazy. I turned to drugs. Losing my sister was one of the hardest things that 
I probably have ever experienced so far in life. And when I got that call, it, it devastated me to find out that she was murdered by her boyfriend at the time. That's when I really started questioning what's out there. This was kind of my, my first wake up call. Um, I was looking in the mirror and I don't know if you ever stared in the mirror for longer than five minutes, but just really look at your eyes. I, I couldn't see the person. I couldn't see who I was. It didn't make sense the person standing in front of me. Jordan, my cousin, he, uh, he took me onto his real estate brokerage. Um, that was 2020, start of 2020. We were just talking, uh, making conversation and the topic of Christ came up. Um, at this point, I was still very, very hardcore against Christianity, very hardcore against Christ. Didn't want anything to do with it, but he had brought it up to me about going on quest. And um, in my mind, I thought, all right, if I do this, I can join his team. Quest is a five and a half day men's retreat, no technology, no distractions. Um, I thought it was a great opportunity to quit smoking. I got slapped in the face really hard with Christ and God really gave me, gave me a couple answers and really slapped me in the face with what, uh, what he's about. Um, it was life changing. The person I was nine months ago does not exist today. Found a lot of answers. There's a lot of healing. I accepted a lot of things that I did and I was forgiven for a lot of, lot of wrongs that I had done to people. Everyone's got baggage, everyone's got scars. And to, not, to, to deny someone the scars that they have, that's not what God's about. It's about love and healing. It's about after the fall, getting back up. My name's Lucas Lovers. Um, every day I learn something new. Every day I make another step towards Christ. It's a journey that never stops. Every day, every day is a struggle. And every day we just, we have to try to come closer to God. And that's why I joined New Life. They accepted me for my scars. And they accepted me for the journey that I'm still on today. And Jesus is redeeming my scars. So Luke will be the first one to tell you that he is a work in progress. That when we say Jesus is redeeming, we mean he is redeeming. It is a process it is a journey. The question, though, for each and every one of us is, will you trust him with that journey? Will you trust him while you're still living in the tension? The picture that the very end of the Bible gives us of Jesus in heaven when everything is perfected 
when everything is being made new, when he is glorious and exalted and honored, the picture that we are given of Jesus is a battle-beaten lamb with scars, even still in heaven. Revelation 5 starting in verse 6, says this, and I want you to just look at this picture on the screen as I read this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Over the last 16 weeks, we've been in a series called Pursued where we have looked at the entire story of the Bible, and I don't care if you weren't here for a single one of them before today, this is the most important one of all of them. Because this is the one where the story reaches its conclusion that never ends. This is the one where we see where the story is ultimately going. And there's a thousand different ways that the writers of this book could have chosen to, to close. There's a million different things they could have gone, a million different directions that they could have gone. But you know where they land? You know what the final verses of this book say? It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come and behold that lamb who was slain. It's a promise that that lamb is coming soon, that he is closer than you know. The invitation says this, come, those who are thirsty, come and drink from the waters of the tree of life without cost, without price. Come. Those of you who are scarred, who are still battle-beaten and bruised, come and find healing and redemption. Come. Those who are orphaned, whose parents have let them down and find home and family and be orphaned no more. Come. Those who are slaves to your sin, to your addiction, to the patterns of life that you can't seem to get yourself out of, come and watch those chains fall to the ground. That's the invitation. Because Jesus is in the business of redeeming scars and removing them and healing them, and we get to be a part of that process with each other. It's messy, it's gritty, but it's redemptive, and it's beautiful. And so as we close our time together this morning, I want to invite you into that process with this church 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to just put a prayer on the screen here. And I'm going to close with, with this prayer. And if you want to receive Jesus' invitation at the end of this book that says to come, to come to him, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart with everything that you've got. And I want to invite you to surrender it all to him. So let's pray this together. Jesus, I desire to be saved. Give me a new heart. I desire to give up my sins. I desire to trust you with everything, even my scars. But I have no strength to do this. I have the desire. Lord, give me the power through your victory over death on a cross. You're robbing the grave in your resurrection and your steadfast presence in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's what I want to invite you to do as we prepare to close in worship. If you want to look by your seat, there is a card on your seat that you might be sitting on or are around you. Go ahead and just grab that card wherever you are. If everyone can grab that card and just take a look at it. See, here's what I don't believe about this. I don't believe that this is just a, a kind of a one-time thing that you just forget about. Like we've said, Jesus is redeeming scars. We walk together. We support each other in this. And so if you're here today and, and you prayed that prayer, I want you to just take 30 seconds to fill out that card. If you're watching online with us, uh, we have a link right here, newlifewayland.org slash Easter. You can go to that link. You can, uh, you can fill out the card there, newlifewayland.org slash Easter, and fill it out virtually. But, but if you're here in person this morning and you prayed that prayer, don't leave without just filling out this card. We're going to have baskets in the back. You can drop it um, off at. We're not going to make you come in front or do anything weird or crazy like that. But just drop this card off on your way out in the back of this room. Um, and so let's, uh, we're going to just take 30 seconds here. Go ahead and fill that out right now if that was you. And, uh, and then the band's going to lead us in worship as we respond.